Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Essentially, at the end of the day, we're, we're in the business of selling trust. Distribu- distributors are trusting me. I'm trusting the factory. End users trusting everyone. Forget about the product. It doesn't really matter what product we're really selling, but at the end of the day, we're selling trust. Our guest today is Russ Mogul. Russ is the founder of Seven Sourcing, a factory direct import company that assists promotional product distributors with the development, manufacture, and importation of custom branded merchandise and has done work through distributors for industry leading brands, including Pepsi, Budweiser, Verizon, Disney, and the NFL. Before Seven Sourcing, Russ was the third generation owner of supplier Toppers. Sold in 1999, Toppers was the fifth largest supplier in the industry at that time. Russ has been featured in several leading industry publications, highlighting his experience with importing and product safety, including PPB, Counselor, and Identity Marketing magazines. Russ was recognized in 2010 as a PPAI rising star. Russ has also served on PPAI's North American Leadership Committee and currently serves as a chef and past mentor chair at Promo Kitchen, a nonprofit community focused on education and mentorship in the promotional products industry. This episode today is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that streamlines your workflow and dramatically improves your customer experience. To learn more or to start your free trial, visit CommonSkew.com. We talk with Russ today about how to think outside the catalog and uncover tips on how to use creativity as a commodity killer. But before we get into that, I talked briefly with Russ about his experience as a volunteer firefighter. After 9-11, he had moved back to his hometown of Marlton, New Jersey, and decided to volunteer. We love to explore the multi-dimensions that make up an entrepreneur's life, so I couldn't resist starting our conversation about when Russ got into firefighting and why. Unfortunately, it was a later point in my life that I did this. The funny thing is, at fire school, I was the oldest one in the fire school. You know, I'm, I'm sitting next to kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old. And here I am, right. here I am 40 years old, uh, trying to keep up with these cats. So five years now, how frequently are you doing this? We are on a duty crew. A duty crew is a uh, team of six. It's every other Wednesday night. So I am literally at the station, ready to go. As soon as a call goes out, the six of us jump on the truck and we go. All the okay. other times, I'm technically on call. So on call is from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. So tonight, if something goes on, I have a pager. It'll go off, and I have about four minutes to get to the station and get on the truck, and we're out. What kind of experiences have you been through with that, and what, what have you learned from those? It's, it's serious stuff. Some of it's tough to look at. Some of, some of it's tough to bring home. You keep that to yourself, but it, it, it's it's the nature of the business, and uh, it puts a keen perspective on you know what's important in your life and what's important in my life, and and obviously uh, it all relates around my family. I often tell folks I don't wish for them. On, on one hand, I don't wish for them perspective because typically, not always, but typically, some of the sharpest perspective comes through painful moments, right? The shift in your viewpoint of whether it's your life or your outlook on life can come when you're face-to-face with those kinds of life-threatening situations? Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Is that hard to carry now, some of those experiences? Or is it just now you, it's just part of the job? And forgive me, I didn't mean to get into an analysis. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm really no, bad at that. <laughs> I hate to say it's part of the job because some of the things, you know, it's just, you don't want to see. We had a gentleman 
couple years ago, Super Bowl Sunday, he had a heart attack and we were working on him and uh, he didn't make it. And his family's yeah. right there. And it's uh, it's tough. It, it, it's You bring that home and, you know, the guy's yeah. the guy's face is with you forever. So it's uh, it's right. tough. But it, right. it, yeah, it's something I choose to do. You know, I, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's rewarding and, and we're helping people. Well, thank you for sharing yeah, that. Sure. Um, our topic today is importing, and what many folks may not know is that here you are, this well-known person in the business, but a lot of folks don't realize the extent of your background. Before we get into importing, I want folks to know where you're coming from. Can you shed light on your experience in the business and why you're doing this particular role, which is importing, and can you define that role for us and what that is? I started in the industry in 1993. I was part owner of industry supplier Toppers. I remember Toppers. Yes. We sold the business in 99 to Corvest. At the time, Corvest was Avalite. It's mm-hmm. all great to me. Yep. And then from there, I spent another five, six years with uh, Corvest. And then I decided to launch Seven Sourcing in late 2006, basically with the premise of offering distributors the opportunity to source their large orders and custom orders offshore, direct with factories without actually having to deal with the factory. That's where our toppers pedigree comes in, where we could source projects both efficiently and, and, and also safely. You presented at SKUCon about creativity being the great commodity killer. One of your first slides you talked about was importing is not rocket science. Unpack that for us, because many of us in the business think it is. Fundamentally, sourcing, uh, importing, and stocking suppliers, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, the fundamentals, fundamentals are the same. Source, find your product, order, you place your order, you approve the production samples, and then you deliver it. Sometimes it takes, you know, between a $500 and a $50,000. Sometimes it's, you know, more difficult to handle the $500 order. Let me ask, let me, you know, you get this question probably all the time. So I'm just going to go for it right at the beginning of the episode here. And, And trust me, I ask this knowing the business is business, but there has been this confluence, if you will, of relationships in the business where when folks go overseas, for example, or they go to the shows overseas in Hong Kong and other other shows, there's distributors walking that show floor, there's suppliers, they're working together, they're not working together on some. It's interesting now the way the world is because it's a flat world and these resources are now available to us. I mean, do you care to reflect on that? How is do you do you feel like that's impacting the industry per se? And I want I want to one caveat because I know Jim with Numo is really good about saying this. When we use the term the industry, I didn't even know that we know what that means anymore. You know, 20 years ago, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago, the internet just started to evolve. People started to use it. Um, now it, it's essential. Um, as far as distributors going direct, it's very easy for, for example, China to access our industry, our, our distributor network, and, and vice versa. Most distributors are bypassing traditional suppliers, and they're doing it to increase their profits or maintain their profits. It's just that simple. I get or keep it. a client, right? Exactly. Yeah. Keep a client. I get it. I get it. There's price pressures. People want better pricing. But secondly, some are also looking for better products. Let's be honest here. We are a me-too industry. Many suppliers are carrying the same merchandise. Savvy distributors are not pushing commodities. If they can't get something different from their stocking supplier, then they're forced to move on. Suppliers need to evolve and, and, and just find ways to be relevant. You know, 13 years ago, I was at the Hong Kong gift fair, and I saw 
easy. Dozen distributors, some of them customers of mine. And uh, I didn't see it as a trend. Uh, people thought it was a trend. I think I just thought it was going to be, become the norm. So rather than see it as a threat, I saw it as an opportunity. And a year later, I launched Seven Sourcing. You know, it's a really good point on the product and the ideas and the Me Too part of the business, um, because that is certainly the fastest way to get commoditized. And, you know, leading with creativity means thinking outside of the box, which means thinking outside of the catalog for our business. So I can see the imperative need there is in the business being pushed, particularly the bigger brands you work with, the more you're going to be pushed in that direction. Oh, no doubt. Creativity um, needs fuel. And the industry needs yeah. disruptors, and we need disruption essentially as an industry to move forward. Forgive me of the newbie question yeah. here, but unpack uh, importing steps for me for the new distributor that might be in the business, or let's say it's just been the distributor who has always just bought from traditional channels. Like, what are some of the first beginning steps you go through when you, when, you know, obviously they're going to contact somebody like you to help alleviate that, but what are some of the key points in importing that one should know about? As far as distributors, the questions that they should be asking their clients, probably the first question is, when do you need it? Is it three weeks? Is it six months? If it's generally, if it's out two months out, they should be thinking about going offshore, importing. Second question is quantity. Do they need 30 products or do they need 3,000? If you're talking a larger quantity, then again, you should be thinking about importing and going offshore. They're the two most critical ones. And obviously, there's there, there's price pricing issues. Compliance is also huge now. So there's some things you need to be aware about. Logistics, duties, classifying products correctly, shipping it to the correct port. If your client's in Miami, why ship it to LA? So there's some of the things that we need to be thinking about. And most suppliers should be helping their distributors think through that. A distributor guest on the podcast uh, suggested a really good idea. I asked how their importing section of the business, how the importing category of their business really grew. And they said they started identifying quotes that they were sending to their customers. They would send them the stock, they would send them the catalog product request quote like they always do. And then if there was quantity involved, they would send them a quote for an overseas project in the timeline and just add and just started making that a normal part of their quoting process which was really a beautiful way to grow into the business because you're telling the customer, hey, I'm also there for you if you've got time for this. What it did was also train the buyer to think that, oh, I can reach out to you when I need some importing, special importing products. Oh, definitely. I, I, I think it comes down to due diligence. I think it, the distributors need to know who their clients are and and start from there. You know, Who is the brand? How do they go to the market? What's the brand story? Then they're better equipped to present ideas. Yeah. Is there a set of questions or criteria you go through in your head when you're working with somebody on what's a great project and what's not a great project? Great projects, obviously, are ones that allow a good amount of time. They have healthy budgets. And the client's receptive to new ideas. This goes back to the commodity killers of, of are they open to yeah. new suggestions, new ideas? Because sometimes with these new ideas, they no one else has them. So... Um, you can certainly set the market price with some of these ideas. And at the end of the day, you can make some more money. What's one of the coolest promotions you've ever worked on? Let me ask it this way. If it's not the coolest, what's like one of the best projects you've ever worked on in terms of maybe it's a revenue uh, question or maybe it's you just were thrilled the way it turned out? We developed a bicycle a couple of years ago for Honesty. And however, the project slowed because of the budget. Um, Honesty is owned by Coke. So we suggested to Honesty to co-brand with other Coke brands. 
Um, and this was relatively new. There's not a lot of co-branding that's out there. However, Honesty went back to Coke and Views and Avion jumped on board. And by doing so, the project went from 250 bicycles to 1,000 bicycles. So we co-branded three brands on the same bicycle, which was really cool to think about because um, we almost lost the project because one of the brands yeah. couldn't afford it. What about one of the scariest high-risk um, orders you've ever worked on? I don't know if I would call it scary, but we have a recurring uh, annual order for a branch in the U.S. military. And the order value fluctuates anywhere from a million to a million three each year. I don't know if I would call it scary, but from a dollar exposure, it certainly keeps me up at night. It certainly keeps my attention. But that's definitely one of the high-risk orders. But it's also with one of my factories I've worked with for you know, over 25 years. So it, that certainly helps. You obviously have this group of preferred manufacturers, if you will, all over the world that you've worked with and have proven for years. And regardless of the product category, you pretty much know now where you're going to go and what you're going to do. Yes. So if an inquiry comes across our email, we pretty much know right away whether we're a good fit or not. Um, and if we're not, we're going to let the client know pretty much right away. We have a three-day cut rule. And what that means is, Bobby, if you come to me with a project, I think we're not a good fit. I'll cut you loose by day three. This way, it gives you enough time to fulfill the project. Hopefully, you'll think about yeah. me for a future project. But when, once I see that opportunity, we do have a core group of factories that I know that can produce that particular item. Um, and the factories that we do use uh, are very good at producing specific items. For example, the bicycles. We're buying bicycles from a factory that produces for Walmart, Target, and, and other retail companies. They're not making pens in the next room or, or, or totes in the basement. Same thing with same thing with our electric guitar right. business. We're going right to a musical instrument factory. They're not, you know, making mugs uh, in the next room. So we're going directly to the source. Yeah. What are the biggest mistakes you see distributors making when it comes to importing? Are there common mistakes that they often all make? Yeah, they're, they're um, you know, distributors are, you know, at the end of the day, they're salespeople. They're not, they're not importers, and, and there's nothing against them, but it, their focus is selling orders. So there, there's, there's a lot of the mistakes that we see. We do a lot of cleanup work where where there's orders that, that, have, that have issues, and we, we try to help out the best as we can. But some things that we see, for example, are uh, orders, products that are not classified correctly. So, for example, you have a $100,000 order, and the product should be classified at 20%. However, you classified it as duty-free. Explain 20% versus duty-free. What do you mean? So, for example, inflatables, like an inflatable raft, um, that'll be duty-free. That means that we do not have to pay a tax on that product to bring it into the States. However, to bring in a, say, a a leather pad folio, um, that could be 20%. So you're paying, if that's a dollar item, you're paying $1.20. You're paying 20 cents in taxes. So in a $100,000 order, you're not accounting for 20% taxes. That's a huge hit. And you've already quoted the project, and yeah, you've already quote you've already quoted, and 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 in most cases, um, it's been produced and it's shipped, and you're getting this bill, and you're wondering why you oh, have to pay twenty thousand dollars in taxes, and suddenly you're and losing. We've money. seen that. We've seen that, sure. Um, and product safety um, distributors are, are not asking the questions, or they're leaving upon the factories. And I'll tell you right now, the factories do not care about our legislations, our our product safety. The, it, it really falls upon us. Yeah. 
So if you're not asking the right questions, you're really putting your business at risk. What are some of the right questions? Because here's what I think here's what it goes on in the average mind of the distributor. I know it was the case with me is that you typically work through trusted channels here in the U.S. So you're typically working with your top 40 suppliers who we trust have worked out all of those issues before it ever even hits their factory. Um, but it's the Wild West out there in terms of safety. What is it we need to know and be concerned about? I mean, this is a muddy topic for most of us who have relied on this safe network of, of suppliers. Smart sourcing is smart business. Um, the questions to ask are, are relative to the product. For example, cooler bag, um, the inside lining, um, any food that touches that lining, that lining needs to be tested according to FDA. Most distributors don't know this, um, and that's okay, but you need to partner with a supplier that knows the products and, and knows what's, uh, you know, what needs to be done. Same thing with factory audits. You should be working with suppliers that are going in and, and checking these companies. Product test reports. We should be asking for reports from prior orders to current orders. And you're talking about distributors working with their existing suppliers, just just vetting them a little harder as well as any new suppliers. Oh, no doubt. You should certainly be asking your current supplier, hey, by the way, that order that we did with you last month, can you provide the safety, product safety testing report? Why do you need that and why is it important? For me, if it was me, if I was a distributor, I'm using that report as a competitive selling advantage because not many distributors are asking for that, and they're certainly not sharing it with, with their end user. So I might go into my end user the next month and say, hey, remember that order I did for you last month? Well, here's the product test report. We tested it for this. We tested it for that. Everything passed. You know what? Feel good about this. Feel good about working with me. Uh, you know, that, that goes a long way. Well, and I'm pointing out the obvious. Hopefully the client doesn't go, yeah, I've already given that out. That's good to know. But what you're <laughs> trying to say is here's here's this product test report. I just want you to know we do this for every project that we we do for you as a as a safety measure. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, we're 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 in a, essentially at the end of the day, we're we're in the business of selling trust. Distribu yep. Distributors yep. are trusting me, I'm trusting the factory, and users trusting everyone. Forget about the yep. product. It doesn't really matter what product we're really selling, but at the end of the day, we're selling trust such a great point because this is such an interdependent industry. That's one of the things you end up learning the hard way usually is that it's so interdependent. And when you look at the vast network of companies involved in trying to get a product in the user's hands, it's an astounding amount of variables, as we all know. Um, Russ, let's switch to financing for a second. One of the challenges for distributors is just cash flow and bandwidth to tackle some of these larger projects. Have you seen some creative financing that you uh, observe in the business? Anything you've learned about financing these big projects that you can pass on? What I've learned personally is that I'm not a bank. I prefer not to finance my customers' orders. And my pricing to the distributor reflects that, meaning that I price my orders relatively low because I know I can make that up in the volume. So it's hard for a supplier to carry that note, uh, especially when factories all require deposits nowadays. Um, yeah, and we're talking fifty percent deposits. What's the anywhere norm? from thirty to fifty percent, and the and the balance is usually due upon shipment. Uh, at least, um, you know, at the at a, at a minimum, it's it's upon U.S. port entry. Um, but it's it's uh, factories don't want to take the risk. Um, I know suppliers right. don't want to take the risk and then distributors don't want to take the risk. So I think every 
deposit is your skin in the game. You're showing everyone that, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're in this together. Um, and let's, uh, let's make this happen. This might be a dumb question, but do you have advice for distributors as they go back to their clients? I mean, it's an, it's a little bit of an awkward conversation for some distributors. Some don't mind at all. Some of us, you know, we're all nice salespeople. So until this moment, until your Mr. Customer, your large customer could rely on you financing everything. You were net 30 days. Um, you never had to worry about bothering the customer for money. Suddenly you're going back to the customer and saying, hey, that big project, I need 50% down and 50% to upon receipt. Obviously, it's just normal. That's the way normal business is. Um, do you have any advice for distributors as they approach their customers with that? I would say just do it. Uh, you basically just touched on it. It's it's part of the business. And it's, a, yeah. it's as simple yeah. as that. Just sitting down with your client saying, hey, my factory is requesting this. I would appreciate you if you would put this down. It, it's a conversation. Vi- financing is a tough conversation, but it, it's not difficult to get by. Then I agree. I mean, clients themselves are just willing to get the project done. They've got pressure behind them as well, and that's to see this project sure. through. And most of them totally understand it. They really do. So we got 30 to 50% down usually, and, and the remaining due up on receipt. I'm sort of going over this because there are folks that are listening to this podcast that have had 20, 30 years experience, and there are folks that are brand new to the business, and they don't really know how that part of it works works. Where should a distributor turn to get into more direct importing? Why not just trust you, use your trusted supplier partners from henceforth forevermore? Most suppliers have their inside sourcing departments. These suppliers are very good at sourcing variations of the products that they carry in their catalog. Um, I can say this because of the toppers days. We were very, we were very good right. at, at sourcing extensions of our current line. Uh, not many will go outside the scope of what they do best, and that's fine. Right. So you would have, with toppers then, you wouldn't have sourced bikes, obviously. No, it wouldn't even cross our minds to even offer that. And I have a feeling many suppliers are are in the same boat. They would rather push something that's currently in their line. They had the factory set up. I get it. But going through a a sourcing company like Seven Sourcing also makes a lot of sense because we're not limited by a fixed line of products. We have the luxury of really going out there and, and looking for many different products. I might get a little flack for this, but we're no longer experts at any one product. And I say that proudly. We're experts at finding factories that are experts at making those products. So that kind of goes back to we're buying bicycles from a bicycle factory. Same thing with the guitars, with instrument factory. We just have the ability to really go out there and, and be a true sourcing arm and really look for some wow type products. What are the big industry shows that happen each year in China, for example? What are the if you're going to start to get into importing, where would a distributor go first? Two of the majors are the Hong Kong Gift and Premiums, that's held in April, and then you have the Canton Fair, which is held twice a year in the spring, as well as the fall. Um, there are largest shows. Just be weary about walking those shows because a lot of those displays a lot of those booths those exhibitors they're not true factories a lot of them are trading companies so you may not be dealing directly with the factory you're losing a little bit there possibly in pricing and also we like dealing directly with the factory if there's an issue or if i need an answer a direct answer i know i can get it direct from the factory trading company is is essentially a middleman and and those shows are flooded middlemen And, and secondly walking those shows Everyone is seeing the same stuff. So where we right. find our value is when I go over there, in most cases, I skip the shows. I actually go directly to my factories and we develop products within the factory rather than rather than attend a show where 
you know, thousands of other suppliers are looking at the same widget. How do you keep your ideation mind sharp? In other words, you're someone who can source anything, produce anything. I'm sure you have a list of things you won't do, food or something, you know, there may be a list that you won't do. How do you keep your mind sharp in terms of the capabilities and possibilities? We are constantly looking at retail. Do you have some favorites? Do you have some favorites that you constantly watch? We watch a great amount. As far as tech, we're looking even at Apple products. It, it could be it could be anything, but retail is a big driver. Years ago, you know, retail the industry was a couple years behind. Now it's kind of running neck and neck. And since we don't stock anything, you know, I have the luxury of going out there and if something's really hot, I can jump on that right away since I don't have to tie any inventory right. dollars up in that. So that's an advantage over a traditional supplier where they have to see, all right, let's let's wait a year and, and see the evolution of this item before we put it into our line. Uh, so we're so we're constantly looking yeah. at retail. We're we're looking at trends, and, and and that's a good starting point because people want the the current products, relevant products, products with purpose. We've been unpacking this a little bit, but the millennial buyer has ushered in a new kind of attitude. I actually think the respectability of swag has increased. Uh, considerably because the millennial, because it's, because it's a form of identity and the millennial buyer brings in a lot of B2C purchasing habits, their retail experience. And when they come to work for a brand, thanks to cultural emphasis in our businesses today, many folks are, you know, they're growing more and more proud, I think of the companies they work for and they don't see a disconnect between the experience they have as a consumer and that, that they want as a business to business as a buyer. And so if they found that particular hat or shirt really cool out there, they, they, want, it, they want that for their employees too. So, yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's a moot point that we're talking about because 10 to 15 years ago, that was not the case. Pretty much buyers were trained that it was available through this industry or not. But now you're seeing retail trends really drive decision-making. That's also really spiked the importing, I'm sure, with you, the importing projects. It's just because buyers are far more attuned and wanting to bring in the retail influence into their their businesses they work for. Oh, definitely, definitely. We did a project for a Common SKU member this past December, and they found a product um, in a um, Brookstone catalog. We found that yeah. we found a factory that produced that exact item, and we uh, we developed the item for them. So yeah, they're 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 uh, they're definitely jumping on retail. I have a very self uh, selfish question. What do you enjoy about working with the Common Skew community? It's a subculture, obviously, of our larger industry, and there's certain certainly a mix of disruptors, uh, some hooligans. Uh, there's definitely there's definitely <laughs> shenanigans going on. It, it's it's uh, I hate using the word hip, but it, it's a hip bunch of people. And obviously, with, with you, Mark, Catherine, it's it's just a uh, you know, it's a different approach and, and, and it's fun and, and it's uh, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I like to target my, my client base and, and certainly Commons Q members are, are certainly on my radar. Yeah, they make me proud to be in the business. Oh, no so many of them. I've learned, I've learned more. I, it's funny, I sometimes feel like I've learned more in the short year and a half as I've been talking distributor after distributor in this role than I did in the 20 plus years of uh, being a distributor uh, just because I have access to so many different perspectives and so many creative entrepreneurs. So it's a, it's a very exciting, it's a very exciting time to be in the business too. I don't, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be in the business. No, I, I certainly agree. Is there something we need to talk about that I'm not hitting yet? When it comes to importing and, th and custom, our, our whole thing is take a break from boring. You know, yeah. and I said it earlier, creativity takes courage. 
And step one is toss the catalogs. It's time to go from an order taker to an order maker. And that comes about with unique products. And let's not fool ourselves into thinking that the only products to be found are the ones that we see on the show floor or industry catalogs. Um, Let's be creative. Let's be creative together. And if you're not creative, lean on your suppliers. Um, Be relevant. Uh, Look for products that make sense. Stop selling CD cases. Traditionally, the industry, you know, we said earlier, is a full year behind retail. With importing, you have the ability to source current retail items. We just want people to think custom. With creativity, definitely comes higher margins. If you're the only one offering a particular item, you set the market price. You make higher margins. It's that simple. Um, And secondly, you know, sell the experience. You know, forget about the product. Great products already tell a story, but the process behind the sketched idea, say on a bar napkin to complete a usable product, is an awesome experience. We love projects that customer has no idea what they want. They have an idea scribbled on paper and we build it from the ground up. It's the buying process that makes it so much better. I love that too. I love that particularly with importing, Dan, you are, you are delivering an emotional experience with these products every single time. No doubt. Let's get away from selling stuff. Let's sell the experience. It's, it's all about wow and aha moments. You want them to fall in love with the product they receive. It's as simple as that. Russ, this is a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad to have someone to lean on with your expertise in the business. It's obviously a very complex, can be very risky world. So it's nice to know there are folks like you out there that uh, we can rely on. Well, I appreciate the time and I'm, I'm here to help. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.